Hey everyone, just wanted to hop in before this week's episode, letting you know that we're continuing the conversation around the Roe v. Wade opinion from the Supreme Court and wanting to give the warning so that y'all can do what's best for y'all. So if you feel up to it and listening to this episode this week, love you. And if you don't and you want to skip this week, I'll still love you. Um, let's get into it. Trying to make it right, these people won't let me go. I'm just trying to live my life. I just need space to grow. I'm just trying to make it right, these people won't let me go. Let me grow, let me go. Let me grow, let me go. They should know, they should know. They should know, they should know. I'm just trying to live my life. I just need space to grow. I'm just trying to make it. Welcome to the Tea with Free. I'm your host, Free. Thanks for listening. The Tea with Free podcast is focused on deep, honest, and vulnerable conversation. Each week, I sit down with a different guest in order to have those conversations. Every week, we'll start my guest's bio and intro to how we know each other, and then we'll go into a deep dive conversation about whatever topic they brought to me that week. This week, I am joined by my guest, Taylor Rebar. Taylor, who uses she, her pronouns, is a photographer, writer, and woman's health advocate. She gave a TEDx UT talk about her work using social media to raise awareness for the lack of women's health education in Central Texas that is contributing to 50% of women developing incontinence after childbirth. Born and raised in Texas, she is a mother, a partner, and she is tired of the way Texas is treating women. Ah! <laughs> Hello, friend, because aren't we all? I should have just added, I am tired. I am tired, period. I'm tired of Texas, period. Like that's, I feel like that is a whole another podcast episode in and of itself of just, I'm sick and tired of Texas. Are you from here? No, I'm born and raised in Connecticut. I moved here when I was 26. So I've been here six years. And every day I'm like, Texas, I don't know how much more time. Like, I, like I, are you wanting all of the women to leave? Is I'm, that- wa- I'm wanting all the marginalized people in Texas to leave and just to see how life would look for people who are left. Let me backtrack this. I'm wanting all the progressive marginalized people to leave Texas and to see what life looks like after. Because like you said, you're sick of how Texas is treating women. I'm sick of how Texas is treating 98% of the people who live here. So alas, here we are. Bro, we, yeah, it's funny. Anytime we start talking about these issues, I'm like, oh, yeah, we could talk about housing. Like, we could go on all of these rants about how mm-hmm. Texas is just um, screwing over. Everyone. Everyone. And I, and I was just telling you before we started recording, this is, like, now a series in response to the Roe v. Wade <sighs> debacle. It's the best word I can think of at this time. Um, and so I had my friend Jordan on yesterday and we were talking, talking about that. And now I'm talking with you and I'm recording with some nurses and a friend who works in reproductive justice as an activist for a nonprofit and, you know, a friend of mine who's had an abortion. And so I'm just like, are you okay? Like I, I am, it's a day. 
I feel like I'm okay. I go to therapy. I do a lot of self-care, which looks like working out in the morning, drinking lots of water, getting a lot of sleep. I sleep a lot, which is good. I get like 10 hours a night and it's just that's great. Top tier sleep. Yeah. Um, give yourself time to rest. So much. Again, we were talking about like the recovering girl boss off mic. And I'm like, this, this, this lady sleeps. Like I used to just be like, oh, I'm fine with four hours. And I'm like, no, I need 10. So it's real. Like, and I don't know if it's like burnout or what, but it's just like mm-hmm. getting your body out of that high stress, like high cortisol state where you're like, oh, I have to go or I'm not achieving my full potential or things won't get done. And when you finally come out of that, mm-hmm. I saw someone who was just like, I just laid in bed for so long because mm-hmm. I was like, I didn't realize I needed rest. And then I had deprived myself of like rest for so long. Yep. It took me so long to catch up. And I was like, it's like, I think it's a reminder to like, rest isn't bad. Like it is okay to take time to rest, to reset, to say no. Um, but yeah, no, I was just listening to um, Glennon Doyle's podcast because I listen to it every week, obviously. Um, and she and her sister are talking about burnout. It's the May 4th episode. If you want to go give it a listen and I'll try to remember to link it in the show notes. Um, but just talking about how burnout looks so different, but it's because it used to be for us, like stress used to be like fight, flight, or flee. And it was like running away from like lions and like large animals. And now it's like a bill comes in the mail or like you're a parent and you're stressing about like making sure you bake a thing for a bake sale. Like, but our body is still reacting that way, reacting as if it is a lion. And so we also like, we have this stress, but then we're not going through the stress cycle of like getting rid of it. So, you know, walking, doing yoga, you know, getting that sort of energy out of our body. And so it's just like, it's so like stress is killing us because of everything we're going through. And then we look at the media and the news we're taking in. And, you know, you had mentioned off mic about my very angry, but poignant uh, writing on the day that I found out I was in New Mexico. And I just was like, two thumbs going crazy on my cell phone. I was with my best friend, Shelby. Um, in Santa Fe and I was like I have to I have to just write she was okay she was all I hear was like the click clacking of your nail (laughs) on your screen and she looked like it took me like a good like 15 minutes to write it and she was like she goes she was I've never seen you like so intent on just getting things I was like I'm just so mad and it's not even like I'm shocked because we've been hearing this for years of like yep from the, We've heard from the, the rumors, the little whispers. Yeah, once, you know, once 45 sworn in, the new justices were like, it's going to happen. Like, and, you They're know, coming. Jordan, and Jordan and I talked about it yesterday. Like, you know, it's that whole first they came for me and then, you know, first they came for the Jews and they came for the all those. I'm like, and then they came for me. Like now, right now it's reproductive health and abortion access and all that sort of stuff. But, you know, even if we just look at, you know, what they're what they're doing by making abortions inaccessible, inaccessible, it's taking away, like if a person has an ectopic pregnancy, it's taking away, you know, if God forbid they have a miscarriage, like they have to like go through like this whole, like it's just making so many hoops. But then we also look at like, you know, the language they're using specifically is really showing us that like they are going to come for, for everything that wasn't in the constitution. So that includes like, gay marriage that includes you know all the things that we've seen the last 20 to 50 years shit five to 50 years 
um, of what's been happening in the country. It's like, we're not safe. And, and I, and I think it's for the people who've always sat in the margins. We know that we've never been safe, but it's like other people are finally starting to notice because it's, it's actually coming for them now. Yeah. And that's like a really big part of realizing that things have been this way just because a lot more people are paying attention now doesn't mean that this hasn't been a concern for a really, really long time. And it's been really, I think, discouraging, um, especially on my social media. I didn't realize... um, Like when you see people who are not on your side and you know, like they can be like people you trust, like your friends and you're like, oh, you just like, I thought we were on the same page. And then to hear you talk about this document that's three, like two more, 300 years old, the constitution, like it's so old. It was written at Mm -hmm. a time when people of color and women weren't seen as people. Yep. And yet you still think that that should have any sort of like bearing on decision-making today? Like Mm -hmm. what? (laughs) Yeah. So yeah, like three, three hundreds. If we, if we say 1776 is like when, you know, the United States became a country, well, you know, I'll give it a couple of, we had 300 years ish. And, and you're sitting here still like holding this so tightly as to like, this is what America is supposed to look like. And I'm like, no, like I'd still be considered two thirds of a human for being black and also being a woman, right? Like there's just. And also just to like, like how hard, like how hurtful. (laughs) Yeah. It's, 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 it's the not, it's the not shocked for the people who've always known. And I was saying this on Jordan's episode, like, we've we've always noticed if you're a person in the margins that we don't live in the same america and now i think you know and i i made a point in the thing that i wrote of how like wealthy white women or you know people who are connected to men in positions of power will always have access to abortions and a woman asks like what do you mean i'm like well, typically, you know, it skews that more women of color get abortions because they can't afford their children or um, healthcare is super expensive or there are people who are working part-time jobs who don't have full-time insurance and it's all these different things. I go, but also like men in positions of power want to stay in positions of power and, you know, no shade, but I'm going to say it like, you know, people in power have been known to have affairs and if you're like a senator's mistress or a president's mistress, like they will ensure that you get an abortion because you are not going to ruin their, their career, their career, their perfect family, air quotes around that, those words. Um, so they're going to make sure that people who could ruin them have access to things. Um, whereas if you're not those people who they, for lack of a better term, give a shit about, they're just like, well, okay. And on Jordan's episode, we were talking about how like, in the part that just came out about the new um, opinion was talking about how like people who are like millennials and younger aren't really having kids and how it's really like fucking it up for older people because it's like, well, who's going to pay into Medicare and take care of the older people? I'm like, y'all ruined the economy. Like, what do you mean you want us to take care of you now financially? Like we can't afford houses. We can't afford college. We can't afford apartments. We can't afford cars. Like we are working 30 jobs and you're asking us why we're burned out and stressed, but then also saying we want handouts. It's like, 
no, we are trying to survive because y'all fucked up the system. So, uh, and then y'all are mad that we're not further like buying into a system that so clearly broke so many things. Yeah, yeah. The whole, I, I think one of the biggest things for me when, when I first started my career, because I started as a social worker. And so I was working with no like, way. yeah, yeah. I started in social work. I know. <laughs> yeah. I wanted to be a business major because I wanted to own a restaurant, but then I took accounting and I was like, absolutely fucking not. No, I hate <laughs> numbers. I hate math. Um, uh, I'm glad that we both had the same experience of accounting. Yeah. It's, it is my friend. One of my best friends in, is an accountant. And now he goes, you could have just hired one. I go, no, no, no. I feel like it was the, too much. It was too much. The Lord above Oprah, whoever you believe in, they knew I didn't need to do restaurant touring. Um, so luckily for our prereq at college, we had to take sociology. And my professor was this like really spunky woman from Boston who was just like, unlearn everything you've ever thought you know about society. And I was like, done. Excuse me, Patty Heyman. Tell me more. Um, and just literally like that, that was it. That's all I needed was just a class to talk about how the system and society has just either fucked us all up or taught us to just fall in line and stick with the status quo and actually, and actually had a buck against the system and learning that I could do a full-time job that would be beneficial and give back and help people was great. So yeah, I started as a, as a sociology major and then I went to work um, for a number of nonprofits doing everything from um, working with adults and children with developmental disabilities to affordable housing, to on-site case management at affordable wow. housing sites, to um, when I moved to Austin, I worked at an affordable housing site as a case manager. I did fundraising for United Way, Out Youth, Austin Justice Coalition. I worked at Registered to Vote. Um, Damn girl, look at that resume. <laughs> well, I'm also, which I feel like is also such like a me millennial thing, is that like my sweet, dear, favorite aunt, Kathy, when I moved, she was like, listen, your 20s are for taking jobs and quitting jobs that you shouldn't be doing. Dating people you probably shouldn't date, but also breaking up with them, traveling as much as you want, blah, blah, blah. And so for me, I've always like, I wanted to work at organizations that spoke to me as a person in some way, but then also being like, and it didn't, it didn't really occur to me until I was like 28 um, and working at a job that I really love, but kind of not feeling appreciated and being like, oh, my company is lucky that I work for them because I can go and work anywhere. And having a conversation, I, was, I did a speaking engagement at um, Texas State and one of the, the male students there was like, well, you know, my mom worked at this company for 20 years and blah, blah, blah. He goes, how do you feel about that? I go, I think for a long time, like we wanted pensions. We wanted all those things. I'm like, but I think our group, our age group now is just very much like, we're not looking for handouts. We just don't want to do things that y'all did y'all the way that older generations did because it hasn't been beneficial like we've seen how the system has failed us and we're like why not now like why do I have to wait till I'm retired to travel why can't I work for myself and work from anywhere which is why I do consulting now but it's just like I got tired of hearing no or wait your turn or you have to pay your dues I'm like I'm busting my ass 40 to 80 hours a week at a menial paying job to try to save a system that I did not ruin. And I'm like, no, like, <laughs> and, and, and I'm, you know, good. <laughs> I'm all right. And, and I think it's the thing too, like your topic of like talking about women's health of like, I saw so many, we know that women were the biggest group of people to lose their job during the pandemic, but I've also seen so many women go out and start their own business in response to the pandemic, me being one of them and just being like, fuck 
yes. Like I am so sick of feeling like I have to just be given the scraps. And I was reading something the other day that a friend of mine posted about this woman who, when she was applying for a job and got the job, she didn't tell her company that she was pregnant until she got the offer letter and she was six months pregnant because she didn't think that she would get hired. And so, you know, it's it's, awful out there. It's terrible. And so I'll try to find it and share it in the show notes too. But it was just like this really great reminder of that, like, it, it was like being pregnant isn't something to be ashamed of. It isn't a disease. Like you are creating life. And yet so many women, and when I use women in this conversation, again, I'm talking about all people who have a uterus and are able to get to give birth. We are just always perpetuating this idea of like, you have to either choose parenthood or your career. And it's like, but I want both. Like I'm able to be this person of depth. And why does it always constantly feel like I have to choose? And not one. just like you want to do both you want to have space for both you don't want to be working 12 hours like having to bring in your kid and then not being able to take care of yourself or your house and your life like that is such a big thing and um probably about a year and a half ago I was interviewing at this company and I was so excited for it And I like, literally it would be a big career move. I would have made the most money I had ever made at any Mm -hmm. job, like double what I had ever made in one of the final interview stages. um, I was meeting with one of the higher ups, like the CFO. And he was like, you know, I know you're a mom. And I was like, yeah, I am. And he was like, I just want you to know, like, you're going to have to be on call 24 seven. And like, if you have to miss your daughter's birthday, I don't want to see any tears from you. And I remember like kind of uh, pausing Mm -hmm. and like shirking it off in the moment. And then the next day I was like, nope, like take my application off the table. Like that's, I can't do that. Like, I'm not going to say no. So I'm sorry, unless you were a doctor, what job are you on call for 24 hours? It was like a medical device sales role, but I was still like, sales. you have a team, have a team. Yeah. No one should have to be on call that much. Have yeah. a team. Yeah. And that's, <laughs> it's how toxic is that though? Like I've worked at organizations like, you know, we allow flexible schedules, but there'll be days when you look like you work like 80 hours a week. I'm like, but I'm not getting paid for 80 hours a week. Nope. It's like, I will take a whole week off the next week. Like, yeah, exactly. And this expectation of like, you should just be so honored and lucky to feel like, no, you need me. Like you were trying to fill a position. And I told, and I once told the boss, I'm like, I'm not a doctor. If I don't answer the phone or an email, no one's going to die. <laughs> like the problem will be there in the next day. And, and <laughs> I think that's why I ended up working myself now, but it was just like that toxic work environment of like, you have to give, give, give it yourself and ask for nothing in return. I'm like, and it's super interesting because I was reading this article about that entitlement on the owner, like the bosses. I don't know where they got it. Anyway, um, it was talking about how after the 2008 crash, how because there was such a, a job shortage, you had really qualified, educated individuals going for like lower um, status jobs. Mm -hmm. And because like everyone was kind of worried about 
you know, making ends meet or doing whatever, you had people willing to go the extra mile in order to like have that security. And then, you know, fast forward to today, 12 years later, the bosses still have that expectation, but the market and the environment has drastically Mm -hmm. shifted. And so there's this huge disconnect between workers realizing our value and realizing what we want and not being willing to compromise because it's so easy or it's easier than you would think to make up the income from your low paying crappy job. Mm-hmm. I know I, now that I do consulting, everyone's like, would you ever go back to full time? I go, it would take a lot for me to go back to full time. Like I want unlimited PTO. I want full healthcare, dental, vision, mental health services. I want like, I have a whole list. I'm like, I want a certain amount of money I'm going to be making. I don't want to work weekends, like all these things. And everyone's like, why am I? Because like, while yes, I am sometimes stressed because consulting isn't, you know, it doesn't always flow in. Um, but, you know, I've done this now. I've been full-time since September and I've never, I've never missed rent. Knock on wood. Hold on. <laughs> um, but it's just like, you know, the freedom I feel now and, and being able to say yes and no to what, to projects, like, you know, I've had to work and take money from people who I don't align from because they were large donors. And I've had bosses who are like, let me get the check. And then if you want to sit and talk to this person for hours on end, you're, you're entitled to. And I was like, but why are we taking this person's money when they're, yes, they're giving to our cause because they believe in two or three things that we're doing. I go, but who knows who else they're donating to? And I was just always like, oh, it just made me feel icky. Um, But now like the amount of freedom and and autonomy and autonomy and solidness. I feel working for myself now. I'm like, I don't like you're saying that, that disconnect of like, I, and I can never imagine being a boss and asking people all of that. Like, yeah. Oh, and the expectation, what I realized is like, if it starts at the top, no amount of good lower level managers can like make up for it. Like if the culture starts up there, like it'll just infect the whole company. Um, Yeah, I don't know. I've been looking at potentially going back to like a full-time job and every time I'm like the freedom, the like the I can, if my kid is sick, I can go pick her up and it's not a big deal. Right. Uh, Versus like at a job, you know, that's the main thing, like why mom's are struggling to get back into the workforce. It's like, we need flexibility. And like you say you want like diversity or like you say you want, you know, not just single people at your company, but it takes flexibility and it takes a willing to like work um, and compromise. And a lot of companies just still aren't willing to do that. No, no, but I do, I do want to pivot back to talking about women's health. I think this all does. (laughs) for sure line up it's hard when you're like oh it's it's one topic but it's it's all the it's all like it it all overlaps for sure but you know it actually brings me back to like your note right here like women women contribute nine trillion dollars of unpaid labor to the economy per year as soon as they have their first child their income drops significantly and stays lower throughout their entire life huge loss of economic potential and freedom i'm just like thinking about like, I was thinking about like how women make already make less. And then you add on having, having a child. I'm just like, if you look at the numbers, the numbers are shocking. Like we are talking about 
Like if your earning potential is like a little happy little straight line, <laughs> when you have your first kid, it goes like this. It and like out. it stays like that. Men's don't do that. Women stagnate. And it's just like, <sighs> it, it's so weird to me. Like, why would women want to have children in these conditions? Like, I have a kid. <laughs> like, I made the choice, but it's also like, y'all are not making it easy. <laughs> mm-hmm. No. And then, like, like you were saying before, like choosing between motherhood and your job, or if you, but if you stay at a job, you're then penalized for it, right? Like you're saying, you had this like upward trajectory. You have a kid, and it plateaus out, and it stays there forever. And I'm also like, uh, that fascinates me because, like, why wouldn't it go? further up like I think women when you know people have children when they have children they want to provide more so I think they're gonna work harder and find that balance they do and yet still we're like not giving them back their earning potential like what the actual hell is happening here I mean it's the same like in my interview it was the idea that because I'm a mom Mm -hmm. I'm somehow going to like be less dedicated or Mm that like I won't be able to find that balance when the reality is like motherhood is a huge balancing act Mm -hmm. like that's all you do is multitask and so it's like there's no reason it feels so antiquated the idea that a woman's earning potential would be capped by like whether or not she has children it's crazy thinking like do dads not have children like no their well their income goes up as soon as men have a first child, they get a raise. I, I wish <laughs> the eye roll I just <laughs> expelled from my body. What the fuck? I know. Cause I was looking at, you know, I like reading articles. I like data. And I was like, it's that blatant. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, yeah, because now I'm thinking about like, okay, what about queer couples? What about gay couples? Like, what does that look like for them? I'm just, I, then we add in, you know, intersections of like color. I'm just like, what is, I hate, I hate all of this, Taylor. <laughs> I no, hate it here. It's so crazy. And especially when you look at like when they stack on another. So like a woman of color who has a kid. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, And then those are the ones who are disadvantaged by all of the laws that are coming up. So really, you're just trying to stack it like you're Mm. trying to stack it to prevent them from going further. And it's just so. As soon as you like know what's going on. It's you can't this goes back to the beginning. You can't help but feel rage. Mm -hmm. You're like. It's infuriating. Well, then that brings me to your next note of like 60% of women who get abortions are moms. And I'm just like, yes, because either they can't afford another child or, you know, yesterday Jordan and I were talking about like, you know, moms who are in abusive relationships and they're making the decision not to have a second child because they're trying to leave their abusive partner. Also, did you know she gave me a... Jordan gave me a stat yesterday or a little pocket of information of like, you cannot get a divorce in Texas if you're pregnant. Okay. You're nodding your head. I did not know this. I yesterday. saw that stat too. And I, I'm like, I feel like the fox in the chair or like the little fox in the room of fire. What is happening here? Cause then we also remember that like a, a, a large number of women who, you know, 
tragically lose their lives are pregnant by their partner when it happened. And I'm just like, you were asking potentially women to stay in unsafe situations so we don't hurt a man's feelings or we don't hurt Texas's feelings by getting a divorce. That 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 still is like, I don't think I'll ever get over that. I don't think I'll ever get over that. I'm just like, holy shit. Like it, I just need people to be paying attention and reading more things. And, you know, and that brings me back to what you were saying in my, in my writing piece about like, it's okay to be angry. It's okay to take a beat and like not have a response. It is okay to process this information. Don't tell me to go vote. Don't tell me to go organize. Like I've done all the things I'm supposed to do, even with voter suppression being rampant, even with, you know, all these different systems in place. I have done everything I'm supposed to do. I've called my representatives. I have voted. I have organized. I have marched. I have written letters. I've done all the things and still the system continues to marginalize and attack me. So what, what would you like me to do? Just sit back and let it happen and let this version of America exist? No. Yeah. I, I've also been like, there's, I don't know. I've had to unfollow a lot of people. <laughs> Same, same. <laughs> My follower account like shrunk in half, probably. Mm-hmm. Um, but the people who are critiquing the way that women are responding as well has been like really disheartened. You know, people oh, the gaslighting. Yeah, just or just telling you to react a certain way or to mm-hmm. you know if you do certain things like vote, protest, whatever. It's like no, no. Like any reaction that I have in this moment is valid. (laughs) I'm just going to say that. Well, it's also like, it's the gaslighting for me. Like, what are you worried about? Like nothing's happened yet. Like blah, blah, blah. It's like, no, like y'all want me to be unconcerned that when it does happen, I I don't, I can't even like wrap my brain around. I'm like, what are you talking about? Like if you've paid attention at all to what is happening, how are you not upset? Mm -hmm. Because it's also the rhetoric, the language that they're using and the way that they're using it is so frightening. And the way that, I mean, I've seen literally lawmakers debating whether an ectopic pregnancy is viable. And it's like, do you know what those words mean? Like, do you have any comprehension of women's health at all? And it's like, no, they don't. And yet it's kind of like that audacity of like, I have no idea what I'm talking about, but I'm going to make a law about it. And mm-hmm. it's like, where do you get the confidence? Where do you get the audacity? I have been, it's, that's the caucasity of old white men. I'm just like, or like my friend shared the other night and then I reshared it about like men who have no idea how menstrual cycles work. I shared it to my story and it was one that was like a guy thought you could schedule your period. Yes. And I was like. <laughs> I just, I, I physically and mentally cannot like, and your note can hear about like comprehensive, there's no med- mandatory sex ed. Like we do not hold people accountable to know what happens in other people's bodies. And I'm just like, I want to always constantly reiterate of like, I cannot get myself pregnant. So why am I the only one who's expected to be responsible? Or to know. Yeah. Or to know. Why is it my job? No, yeah. And with the sex education, the thing that's like shocking is 
you know, there's a sex ed class in public high school, but there's no standard of how that has to be taught and what mm-hmm. has to be covered. And so what you have is like in the, you know, more rural Southern places, you have things being completely left out or mistaught or like only abstinence yep. education only taught. Abstinence and it's only. like, like it's 2022. Like, what are we doing? Well, also, and I said this on the Jordan episode of like, kids are having sex, if, whether you're talking to them about it or not. Like, so y'all acting like if we don't talk about it, it's not happening. I'm like, no, this is how you get teen pregnancy. This is how you get STD transmission. This is how you get all these things. Like, if we just talk to the youth and be like, hi, this is what it means to like have safe sex and to, you know, have a partner. But I'm also just like, I know for me, like having, not only did I have full comprehensive sex education from like fourth grade to freshman year of high school, so like five years, like every year for five years, we learn about sex. Lucky. Connecticut baby, that Northeast <laughs> education um, and public, public education. I swear by it. Um, but then also having a family who was very much like, hi, we're going to talk about it. So you could feel awkward, but also so you can know. And the things you learn about sex, because your family's like, we're going to, we're not going to not talk about it. Um, but especially like from a family of color, you know, being a black person, it was like, we know how black people are looked at and we just want you to have all of your resources and educations. So learning about sex ed at home as well. And like not being afraid to talk, like my parents are 24 and they had me, like we had very in-depth conversations about sex ed. Um, and just being able to have that open communication, you know, and I always laugh now because my godson is 13. And so his mom's been talking to me. He's like, I don't want to talk about this. I go, you got to know about it, bud. <laughs> like, we all know you're getting to that age. And he's like mortified. I'm like, listen, <laughs> it happens. We all know it's happening. Yeah. Um, but just, you know, just giving them the resources of like, these will be adults one day. And I just want them to be safe prepared. and prepared and all the, all the things that, and it's just like, I feel like Texas doesn't want that in the more rural conservative places don't want that. And I'm just like, I always think about like about that like story and that trope of like, oh, like we sent her off to school. And it's like, no, like you sent her away because she was pregnant. <clears throat> she had this baby and now she's back. Like you're not fooling anyone. Like we all know. And just thinking oh about gosh. that too, like the, the shame around getting pregnant. But I'm like, first of all, I think there should be no shame. Like children are a blessing. But it's also like, I want the parents to feel shame for not talking to your kids. Like I'm not holding that kid responsible. I'm holding you as their parent responsible. Like they are young. Like why didn't you teach them or make sure they have the resources? And again, not a parent, but a nanny for a long time. And just, <laughs> just feeling like, you know, if, and when I decide to have children, like I want my child to talk to me about everything. Cause that's what I was modeled in my, in my family. And I'm just like, oh, prepare the children. Okay. Must be nice, Brie. Oh my yes. gosh. I had polar opposite. <laughs> Are you raised in Texas? Uh, yes. The covering, <laughs> covering her eyes saying yes. Ashamed. Uh, yes. Raised in Texas, raised in a private school no sex education. I think I was given the only like education I was given about my body was like a really tiny book that had a lot of butterflies in it about becoming a woman. And that was it. Like, no, like, here's your menstrual cycle. There's three phases. Here's when you're most fertile. This is what consent is. This is what birth control options are. Nothing. Nothing. 
in the dark. Also, I'm always, I don't, maybe this isn't the time, but what the fuck is the birds and the bees? No idea. I'm like, I, okay, just like logistically talking, the first of all, birds and bees aren't having sex. They're different species, so they're not having sex. But I'm always just like, huh, interesting. Of all things we could talk about, you chose birds and bees. And bees. Okay. It just always, it, it just has always got, I mean, like, why the fuck are we talking birds and bees? <laughs> it makes me angry. <laughs> Get the birds out of here. Um, the bees, the stinger hurts. Like, I hope the stinger isn't like a euphemism for a penis. That's what I've always thought. I oh, I didn't bit. even think about that. Okay. If I had to guess, because you're making me think about it, I would say, okay. <laughs> um, I think. So bees are pollinators, right? So they're like mm-hmm. giving pollen to the, f- I don't think they're having sex with each other. I think it's like, I think they're supposed to be separate. Like men are the pollinators, women sit on nests. And then birds lay eggs. And sit on eggs. We sit and, on eggs. And incubate. I hate, I hate it here. I hate it here. I need someone, I know this isn't like a radio show, <laughs> but I need someone to call in and tell me <laughs> what the fucking birds and bees chat is. Cause I what? need- what vague uh, metaphor was used for sex in your childhood? <laughs> please, please write in. <laughs> Send me an email. We need to know. I need a butterfly. Yeah, make the subject sex talks as a teen. <laughs> I need. I need to know. I think that might make that a poll today. <laughs> Honestly, answer. yes, like, please. Hi, how were you taught about sex ed? Because what the fuck are the birds and the bees? I don't know. Anyway. But it's- it was also such a weird experience, like literally not having any sex education and then getting pregnant and having all of these like weird, vague ideas of like what pregnancy was. Yeah. And then uh, finding out it's brutal. <laughs> pregnancy. How old were you when you got pregnant? I was, okay, Lily is almost three. I'm 24. 19 or no I was 20 I was 20 when I got pregnant and um yeah it's so interesting to hear men talk about pregnancy having like never been through it and I'm like it's a medical trauma (laughs) pregnancy is traumatic to your body okay that's one of the things we also talked about too like abortions aren't just like you chew a stick of gum like you are going through a whole last process and it's the same with pregnancy like you like first of all to even get pregnant is like statistically a miracle because it's like are you ovulating is your body prepared are the stars aligned (laughs) is the the semen going to actually make it to your egg are you both fertile yeah it's like right and then, you know, you get pregnant and it's like, okay, the, that first trimester, those first three months, we'll see if the baby, the fetus, the embryo makes it to the second trimester. Like there's also crazy, like you're not supposed to talk about if you're pregnant before 12 weeks. Yes. Because like, if you lose the baby, like you don't want people, I don't, I don't, I've you, never, you, ha- you have to worry about other people's sadness for your own I was like that's when I was like that's when you need community that's when you need people so why aren't you 
Because it's, it's shame. We're supposed to, you're supposed to feel shame for not being able to hold a baby. Because the one thing as a woman you're supposed to be able to do is give birth. Please, I've unpacked so much of this in therapy because, and also I recommend Hillary Burton Morgan's <laughs> book. Um, oh my God, what's the name of her book? I'll link it in the show notes. I've talked about it before. Um, something about mischief farms. I'm going to Google it really quickly. Because Hillary Burton. Oh, yeah. The rural, sorry, the rural diaries. And Hillary Burton Morgan is an actress who played Peyton on One Tree Hill. She was in White Collar, oh, all the yeah. things. Love her. In my head, best friend. Um, but she <laughs> talks about, you know, her miscarriages after having her first child and you know, everything she her, you know, her infertility. And, you know, now she has, she has another oh. daughter, I think it's like four or five now, or another kid is four or five. Um, but she talks about like the shame, like she didn't really talk about it. Cause it's like, as a woman, you're supposed to feel shame. And it's like this thing you go through alone and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, like you're saying, you're supposed to have community and talk about like this really traumatic, terrible thing. What happened that I wanted this baby in my body just like, couldn't, couldn't do it or what have you. Or the, or the embryo was, you know, like it, it's not always your body. It, or is it there's toxic? Yeah. a million different things. Like it could just be like the genetics didn't combine right and it didn't go fully, you know, like it's just like anything can happen. Like the first 12 weeks, like it, it's kind of a guessing game of whether or not the embryo will make it. Right. That's crazy. But yeah, no, I, I definitely yeah. feel... I don't understand why there's shame and okay, but I do understand because let's back to Roe v. Wade. Mm-hmm. We're trying to shame women for having abortion. You know, like we can't even talk about whether or not we've had abortions because we're worried some random person is going to try to sue us. Mm-hmm. Like- yeah. I'm thinking about well, during the pandemic, well, the pandemic is still happening. Um, but at the beginning of the pandemic, there was no, no, no. So sorry. SB8, when SB8 passed back in September. September, I was like, what is time? Um, and talking about like, even if like someone drove you to an abortion, they could be held liable. Or like if your doctor noticed something and they were like, I feel like you should like, the baby probably isn't going to make it. Let's look at your options. Like even that, like people just trying to help people have access to their own bodies and healthcare. Literally resources, like a ride. A ride or helping to pay, play, play, pay for like an airplane ticket or a bus ride. Like all these things are just like, and this is what makes me mad about the pro-choice people. And I'm y'all, I have no feelings. So you getting mad at me will not hurt me for those <laughs> conservatives who listen to this podcast. Check. Anyway, people who are like pro-choice, I'm like, but you don't give a flying fuck about that baby. If it is a person of color, queer, disabled, all the things like if it is anything but like cis hetero white and wealthy you could not care less about this child so don't tell me about pro-choice but then we don't talk about affordable health care access to good schools looking at oh. the welfare disparities all these different things that we could do to fix the systems and then people maybe people want to have kids but then and it, anger <laughs> oh righteous rage it's good thank you <laughs> but and another conversation, there's so many cans that I feel like we're opening, um, but the rate of PTSD in adoptees, like people who mm-hmm. were placed for adoption and 
there was this one person this that I follow who was adopted and she was talking about her experience like she's like you know I'm a queer person who was adopted by a religious family mm-hmm. and they disowned me so they don't they don't want children they're not pro-life they just want like it, it's so traumatic yeah like you have you, to you have to fix the fix, fit the boxes right and like as they always say like adoption is a viable option, but how do you know that your adoptive family is going to be supportive of your child if they're like queer mm-hmm. or like you having mental illness or, you know, there's so many things that people struggle with that a lot of um, predominantly like religious adoptive mm-hmm. families will ostracize their adopted child for. And it's like, that's not an option. <laughs> That's not a viable option. Right. That was a rage breath, everyone. I just, I just, I just, go ahead. No, I just felt like I also needed a breath. That was good. (laughs) Close your eyes. Take your rage breath. It's it's fine. We're fine. Sit with the anger. It's okay. And that's, I think that's the biggest thing for me is like, I think so often specifically as women, specifically as a woman of color I'm not allowed to be angry and I'm like no I'm fucking furious most times of the day I just and that's (laughs) that's what I loved about your post because I think as women we need to be better about validating rage and being like yes like you feel that I feel it and see you and I'm okay with it (laughs) Mm -hmm. have you read rage becomes her no, but it's on my list. I'm, re- I'm writing it back down. That book um, was phenomenal because I didn't realize how often I was gaslighting myself about my mm. emotions. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that was a weird discovery for me because I, I try to be really in touch with like how I'm feeling and I try to be very like authentic. Like if I'm not feeling it, I'm not feeling it. Yeah. And what I realized was I was only allowing myself to portray certain emotions and feel certain emotions. So mm-hmm. as soon as it got to the rage point, I was cut off at like the frustrated. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I got to bottle all of that up. I can't let that out. I can't speak yep. too loudly. I can't, you know, mm-hmm. uh, like have these really intense conversations with people. Like I have to pull in all the time instead of just like letting my energy kind of expand right Um, yeah and I think about that too our friend and I were actually talking about this yesterday about like the palatability of being a person of color hmm. and the nuance there of too of like and, and I'll just use myself as an example like I'm highly educated I grew up in a very diverse place like I am able to code switch but also like I'm super privileged in the fact that like I used to tell people like there is no like at work brie and like work work like with friends brie like i'm always me and i know like that's a place of privilege and i sit with that um but just thinking about that often too of like knowing that like over the last few years my instagram has grown because of you know i am attractive i am educated i have access like all these different things but i have noticed that like every time i say something that's like quote not on every like not 
even keeled like that post got a lot of of pickup there's also like a lot of people who are like really yeah like a lot of people loved it and then there are some people who are like well can you explain this to me more and I'm like no it's like hi one google is free racist sometimes but free um and also like I have a whole highlight on my Instagram that talk about like racial justice work just click through that or you can hire me this is my full-time job like what I decide to put out into the universe for free take it and run and be grateful like goodbye Um, don't ask me for more I'm already giving my Venmo is right there if you want a little little moment um but I, I I think about that too of like because of of how I feel things so deeply I'm a Pisces after all um but every time I very watery it's a fish. <laughs> such a fish um but yeah I just I I think and I always tell people like I'm an only child so I'm like I'm a self I'm a self-soother like I work through things on my own first interesting and then I come out and talk about it um I think it comes from like a lot of solo play as a child we'll talk about that in another episode um but I also I started journaling really young I started writing music when I was really young um but I was just always like very much like getting stuff out I was super angsty in my little town um and by little I mean it was a town of 60,000 the best people are (laughs) I have big feelings (laughs) <laughs> a, boy, a boy broke my heart in like 12 when I was like 14 I'm still over it he talked I talked about him in a previous episode anyway um his name is Calvin and I hope he listens um but I, I just I just think about how I have always had to find ways to get my anger out in a way that was palatable and okay because as a black woman, I never wanted to fall into that stereotype of like the angry black woman. It's like the gaslighting around that alone. of like, I am allowed to be angry when shit makes me angry. And I think that's yes. been a big thing. This thing, like, this is why I wrote that thing. I was like, I'm fucking pissed and I am allowed to be pissed and I am allowed to be angry and I'm allowed to talk about it. I'm allowed to talk about it on this platform and have people read it and sit with mm-hmm. it and unpack their privilege and how they have perpetuated these systems and how you, we can't keep ignoring things just to make it okay with ourselves and how we can't be expectant of like expectant of things and like how I'm not going to continue to twist myself to make you comfortable. And so I take a yes. breath. And so I just take yes. a right breath every day. <laughs> multiple times every 15 minutes <laughs> you take a rage breath we light we light a lot of candles and i i'm like right now i have four candles in my house going in like different quadrants of my apartment and they're like my gentle reminder of like the fire inside you can either burn for positivity or burn for damage and i need to constantly remember <laughs> that i am burning as a light to soothe <laughs> And right, right now my anger is content, but I feel like if I tip over a candle, if you tip me over, you might burn down a building. And this is my gentle reminder, my metaphor every day of like, light the candle. Light the candle just, for light. Try to figure out if you want to light the candle or be the candle. At what, <laughs> at what point do we burn the house down? <laughs> Off record, um, <laughs> every time we vote, we try to burn the house down metaphorically. We don't want a repeat of January 6th, 2021. I want, like, I just, <laughs> I just, and I was talking to Jordan about this the other day, yesterday when we recorded, like I, the day that Kamala and Joe won the office, I went and got the words good trouble on my wrist in honor of like Ooh. the John Lewis quote. And it was my gentle reminder again, to be the candle. Um, but also like, 
shit don't change for me depending on who's in the White House. Until Stacey Abrams or Cory Bush are my presidents, which they are in my heart, but not in the country. Stacey Abrams. Listen, but have you looked at Cory Bush out of Missouri? Because that is my bitch. Like, <laughs> I this is a Cory Bush stand podcast. I don't I, think I've read too much, but oh, I'm excited. She has I love testimony. Girling. She has testimony about SB8. She used to be a nurse. She's a single mother. She like ran against the person in Missouri who had been the Democratic winner for years, but wasn't doing shit. She ran three times before she won. I had a phone call with her once and was crying. I fucking love her. I worked at a tech company that did voting. It was a whole thing. I love her and I need everyone to follow. I talk about Cori Bush at least once a month on the show. (laughs) C-O-R-I. Cori Bush out of Missouri, if I'm not mistaken. She's a congresswoman and she's just, she's, she just, she is, I have chills thinking about her. She's just everything. Like she is talking about voter suppression and abortion access and how, and she She looks so powerful, so powerful. And I, she was at the Capitol on January 6th and she gave testimony after that. Like, I just love her so much. And I just need Cori Bush to know that I love her. Um, But I, I just think about that too, like being able to see, so like you're saying, she looks powerful. Being able to see black women who I know who are angry, but use that powerfully to burn down the metaphorical house. Cory Bush standing, standing out. <laughs> I love this. I feel yes. Use I, feel, I feel yes. I feel yes. <laughs> I want that on a shirt. I feel dot dot dot. Yes. yes. <laughs> That's new merch. I'm going to come up with merch now. Um, yeah I need to work on I'm gonna light a candle in your honor today (laughs) and some days you're gonna be the candle and some days you're gonna it it was so funny because I also was like I feel like I need some incense like (laughs) what I just need like uh something energy for this conversation because it's hard it's it's so hard like i have candles on like candle melt like candle warmers and i have some lit and i'm just they're i'd like i like different options um but i always like candles one because again the flame and i feel kin kindred um but also like the gentle reminder of wax and how i'm very big into metaphors um but like how wax is like it can be either liquid or solid I love that you started moving. I have to. <laughs> and sometimes the I'm fish. Gonna be, truly. And some days I'm going to be liquid and some days I'm going to be solid. Like some days I'm just going to be liquid and go with the flow. But then some days I'm going to be solid and stand in my shit and know that I am mm. right. So also I'm just going to start writing metaphors all day. Um, but it's just, it's just so important to me to like, just constantly be aware, reminded. aware and reminded and hold space for my anger um and like we talked about at the beginning with burnout like it is okay to be emotionally burnt out with everything it is okay to be emotionally ignited like and I think that's been a big thing too like seeing different people's responses and being like they are all valid as long as you're as long as anger isn't there like I feel like if you're all angry <laughs> sad I just get I just don't want I you don't I'm want trying, like apathetic like you I'm, need and I'm trying to hold grace for people who are apathetic or surprised Cause I'm just like, how, where have you been? Where have you been? 
but also like the people who are apathetic and surprised, but who are moving towards knowing more and being more educated. I'm trying to, I'm not trying to like, it's hard. Anyone away. I'm trying to call people out and call people in and be like, okay, you're surprised. Let's talk about why you're surprised. Let's talk about how we can get you to being more aware. And, you know, I think it comes from like, you know, some people just can't listen and watch the news. And I get that. Like, I don't listen to the news. And if I do, it's five minutes a day on up first an NPR podcast. <laughs> like I need, oh, little, yes. I need little tidbits. Like I don't need a constant news cycle. I canceled my uh, cable subscription because I was just watching CNN all day. <laughs> like I had to cancel the whole subscription. because so I, like, I can't, I can't keep watching CNN all day. The rates, um, the correlation between the amount of like minutes that you watch news and your depression level is really interesting. Um, but it's good that you canceled your, your news subscription. I mean, I was mostly watching it cause I love Van Jones and Jake Tapper and my best friend, Andy Coop, Anderson Cooper. Um, but I was like, guys, I gotta let you go. I can't like, it was just constantly on like, cause I like, I want to be informed. And I was like, Oh my God, yes. I'm so sad. Like I was so yeah. sad. All like you're saying, and as a person who does suffer from anxiety and depression, I was like, goodbye everybody. I'll just buy subscriptions to HGTV and, and food network instead of having access to CNN. <laughs> like I need the good background music now, but yeah. It's I, true. It's yeah. true. And I was telling people yet when I was recording with Jordan, I'm like, stop getting your news from Facebook find a reputable source that works for you i like npr because it's pretty neutral um cnn also it's it's fast and it's you know, like it's not like npr up first like i literally double speed minutes? it yeah not like, even I'm through and i'm like okay i'm informed you are informed and, like, you know everything you're a newscaster <laughs> you're a newscaster you're basically on cnn <laughs> <laughs> We're ready. We're ready. Although I think now that after this conversation, I think like you and I probably should host the news. I feel like it'd be a great one-two punch. I'm like, I'm going to pitch that to Austin this week. Like, hi, I have two newscasters for you. Hi. Nobody okay. panic. Everyone hold on. Breath. <laughs> Hear me out. I have like a full presentation, like <laughs> clicking in the background. Slide one. Hi. <laughs> hi. Uh, hi. Hi. I feel Yes. <laughs> I say that a lot. I love like, it. When your feelings are like too much for you to process and you're like, you know what? Yes. I And I think that's why I love it so much. I'm very much like, I'll start off like, and I'm like, yeah. And like, just stop my friends. Like, okay. Like, Do I need to be here for this conversation you're having in your head? I'm mostly just like talking at people when I'm angry. And my sweet best friend, Charlie, who I've mentioned way too many times mm-hmm. in the show, um, this sweet white dude from Rhode Island who I love deeply um but we'll hang we hang out every week and he'll be like how's your week I'm like Charlie I just have to like talk at you for 10 minutes he goes okay great and it's just like and he goes and he just nods I'm like thank you <laughs> like like I gave a speech I'm like thank you <laughs> oh my gosh that's friendship that's I think that's like that's the secret to friendship like sometimes you're just gonna like rage talk at someone just because you have to get it out because it's true because in the words of my friend taylor i feel yes <laughs> um yeah i got into oh, i feel so bad so sometimes i get a little too ranty because when it's on my mind it's on my mind mm-hmm. and that means i'm like doing a research like rabbit hole and um one thing i tried to start to do with poor keith 
because literally he'll be like enjoying his life, like doing his hobby. And I'm like, you know what? <laughs> knock, knock, knock. Keith, if I could just for one quick moment. <laughs> and he's like, can we have a day where we don't talk about abortion? Yeah, Keith, when like, abortion is accessible to everyone again, Keith, oh, the sweet Keith, who is Taylor's partner, is a very sweet person. <laughs> I know. And he's just like, or, but I, I realized like, okay, I need to be like, hey, are you in the headspace? Do you have space for me yeah. to yeah. unload and unpack a lot of this? Because it's mm-hmm. a lot on me, but also like, mm-hmm. it's a lot okay. to unload. So my other in my head best friend, Sophia Bush, no relation to Corey Bush, but was on One Tree Hill with Hillary Burton working to bring it all the way back around. Oh, I saw a cool interview with her recently. Love of my life. She is like one of my top three. Her, it's Oprah, Sophia Bush, and I think Michelle Obama, if not Gabrielle Union. It always it always goes back and forth. Anyway, um, I was going to say, oh, Sophia Bush has a podcast that I like um, called Whips, um, Work in Progress. And she was having a, a, an episode with one of Aren't her friends. Truly. She said, you're allowed to be a work of art and also work in progress. I'm like, oh, thank you, Sophia. Um, but she talks about like her and her fiance, Grant, like have a thing. I know, I'm sorry. Right? I just like fell in love with that. She's so great. Yeah. You're allowed to be both a work, a work of art and a work in progress. And it's literally because my life. for the perfectionists in the room, we think of imperfection as Re- recovering perfectionists. We're working towards it. Some days it's more <laughs> recovery than others. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, I often think of like, if it's not perfect, then it's not good or beautiful. Mm-hmm. And but it's like, okay. Done is better than perfect. Happy is better than perfect. Oh, Taylor, you have to come back for another episode. We'll unpack perfectionism. <laughs> um, but her and Grant talk about, um, I, they have this thing called purge or problem solve. And it's how they communicate. It's like, are you just going to talk at me or do you want me to help mm. you problem solve the thing? And she's like, 90% of the time, it's me just purging <laughs> to him. But sometimes I do want him to problem solve. And that's, you know, what me and one of my best friends, Shelby, we've now taken that. Um, but she's always, she always calls me like, hi, are you in the headspace? Listen to me rant for five minutes. I go, yes. And some days it's no. I'm like, I love you, but I'm not in a place. She goes, great. Love that boundary. I was like, thank you. So communication is key, people. I love that. Mm-hmm. Oh, we love healthy communication. We do. We do. Well, I have really enjoyed this conversation. I'm really going to have you back to talk about perfectionism because I need to, which we all know is steeped in white supremacy. Yes, everybody, before you like- I'm not ready. But we have some time. We'll make it, we'll make it, we'll make it another day. We have, I won't, I won't make you do it today. Um, Oh, dude, I, I, I've had to, it's been interesting the way that like perfection and like motherhood is like intersected because- mm. And I was even talking to like my brother's wife about this because she was like stressing out about appearing to be like all put mm-hmm. together and perfect before her friends came over. And I was like, why do we do that? Why? why do I why do I have to spend four hours cleaning my house before someone comes over? For 10 minutes. For 10 minutes. It's a great question. There's that nine trillion dollars of domestic labor that <laughs> I'm going to cut you off because that's going to be a second episode. We're going to have You're everyone good. come back for that because exactly. I'm going to write a note. Why do we clean our houses? Because <laughs> I'm serious. Well, why? Why do we? Why do we? Why do? 
probably just gonna be like a Taylor a Taylor series at this point. Anyway, um, is there anything you want to plug before we do the final wrap? No, I'll make sure to link all of Taylor's. Oh yeah, just Instagram, follow me. Follow Keith. Things. Come say hi. I mean, y'all are adorable. It makes me feel like love exists but i also don't trust anybody we'll unpack that in another episode everybody any hoodle at the end of every episode i like to ask my my guests a final question and that question is what is the best advice you're ever given or what is a piece of advice you would give to your younger self um i mean i feel like we just unpacked it but it's like being happy is more important than being perfect I mean, it, it, it applies to motherhood. It applies to career. It applies to personal relationships. Like literally every, I mean, can you tell I'm a little bit of a perfectionist or? Not at all. <laughs> when, when you have to remind yourself to be happy. Wow. I feel attacked, honestly. <laughs> Someone was like, uh, oh, is this video? And she's like, I wonder what it's like to just not have like mental illness to just like wake up and be like, I'm not worried. <laughs> what a delight for everybody at home. <laughs> not me. But yeah, <sighs> choosing happiness, prioritizing happiness and being okay with what that looks like, even if it's not what you thought it would look like. That's it. This week's episode of the Tea with Brie. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at the Tea with Brie. Send me an email at the Tea with Brie at gmail.com and visit the website, the Tea with Brie podcast.com. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or we get your podcast. A special thanks to Mama Duke for our theme music. And I'll talk to y'all next week. Bye.